another episode of Evansville Underground Music uh, Podcast. My name's Jeff. I'm the host. I'm here tonight with Wendy and Bucky. Um, welcome to Evansville Underground Music. Thanks. It's our first time here. First time nice here? To be here, yep. Yeah? Cool. Yes. Thank you for having us. And yeah. you're both in the Madison area. Mm-hmm. And what's the name of your, are you in a band or is it uh, your opening tonight for Evansville Underground Music? I was in a a band called the Tar Babies that ran from like 1982 to 1991, more or less. Okay. And then I played in a band in San Francisco called the Colcock Trio for okay. five years or something. And uh, then more recently, uh, Negative Example was a band that I put together in like 2014, and that's run its course. So I'm not in a band okay. right now. Gotcha. gotcha. I just, we, th- this is just. I don't know if I think Wendy might have approached us similarly. Yeah. So that we were asked to play. Yeah. And that gave us motivation to actually come up with a set. <laughs> you know. So this tonight is an original thing. That no, not you, for you, me. Okay. Well, well there's songs. That, that, yeah. That, I didn't write anything for this, but yeah. like then I I I've never adapted many of these songs for just solo voice and guitar either. Yeah, right. yeah. So, yeah. And wow. I'm currently uh, in a band, Howler. It's a three-piece band okay. that Joe had reached out to to say, do you want to play tonight? We weren't available. And I said, well, I would do a solo set, which just feels like a better fit for the evening because uh-huh. then because I'm going before Bucky. But I, you know, I, I was in a band in the 90s in Madison called Bugatti Type 35, three-piece, where I was the singer and the writer for that band as well. And then um, when that band, when we disbanded, I went out uh, as Wendy Bugatti and played solo for maybe a couple of years. I toured and had a release, but I didn't enjoy it near as much as the three-piece. So I'm happy to be doing Howler, and this will be the first time since way back, you know, 2001, where I've pulled out some of that set and played through it. And and Bucky and I did uh, Wendy and Bucky or Bucky and Wendy set. Like for a while we were having fun doing uh, like a half hour set with each other years ago. Mostly all covers. Yeah, I think. And then so, but we're doing a couple of songs together to riff on that comfort level that we had, I guess, playing together years ago. But wow. Yeah, so. Wow. That's a wealth of, exp- like, obviously I didn't do my homework. I know, now Wendy, did you do like a documentary? Yeah, um, I did the okay. Smart Studios documentary. And Bucky and I had been friends for many years, I mean, way before the doc, but he was integral to a certain section of the doc that represented not only the Tar Babies, but the Madison scene of that era. So we have a lot of tie-ins and we come from different, um, we have different perspectives on the Madison scene and different experiences because Tar Babies was before my band. So Bucky was earlier in a very different, more hardcore scene or a little bit more, I don't know how you would describe it. I just know from the film, but. Yeah, like the, you know. the Tar Babies were the first, I think. I think we were the first band to record at Smart that wasn't the people who like built the studio. Yeah, you know? I think so. So we were the yeah. first people that went in and actually paid them $20 an hour to record yeah. us. Yeah. So yeah, the Tar Babies were part of like, we were young. I think like the hardcore punk scene after just a few years, I started seeing, you know, the certainly a musical limitations, but also um, kind of how um, 
you know how how uh, how it sort of forced you into um, musically and just um, attitudinally. I don't know what I'm saying. Like if you were there uh, at a at a show in 1982 or 83 or 85, it would be like a band playing like what did you you know like you know uh-huh. and there would be a bunch of people standing around the middle like smashing into each other and some people on the perimeter who like would get nailed every once in a while you don't want to stand and watch if you were in the middle of it you generally didn't get hurt right you know if you were moving right but anyway we were skaters we were uh-huh. ready for heard black flag minor threat we want to do that but by 1985 or so we had started to morph into something like with a little bit more of a our own our own voice okay and our own take huh. so it was a nine-year i mean billy band. corgan calls you like the chili peppers before the chili peppers wow you know so there were references in the film to you know the weight of the tar babies but they didn't quite have the audience or it wasn't time for that just yet you know uh-huh. the same with de Kreutzen, you know who was out of milk based in milwaukee at the time you know were really like precursor to i'm not sure what like sort of other band that blew up de Kreutzen is sort of uh, paralleled with but um yeah anyway you know a lot of very raw new sounds coming out of independent the independent scene were went through smart you know and all of that material and those records were recorded with butch and steve and so you have this archive of those times in our life really well preserved because they just sound they sound fantastic and what's the name of the documentary again the documentary is called the smart studio story the smart studio story and when did it come out 2016 wow yeah wow when did you start like producing when did you start the project for the, the, the studio closed in 2010 uh-huh. so i just did a rough round of interviews locally uh-huh. you were a part of that first round where i just told you know butch and steve butch big and steve marker were the owners we talked about an approach i said let me just ask people how they feel about the closing and then we would look at those reels and those interviews and decide to move forward each time we put together a compilation you know of of the footage i was getting and then we got uh funded i mean i did a kickstarter oh, and we, okay. we got one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and so we were really able to you know just move forward and you know get dave grohl and billy corgan and you know i was doing the owner of sub pop and touch and go records corey rusk and jonathan poneman so it was able to expand to really represent not only madison as this you know a satellite scene like other satellite scenes but the film is able to connect them and have this picture of sort of where madison was in relation to other scenes Uh i think the whole like thesis of the film though is that and i get a chuckle out of this because Initially, the guys at Smart Butch Big, super nice guy, but those guys didn't take us seriously at all. Like the people around Butch, and um, and we were kids anyway. But Killdozer, uh, who right. shared a rehearsal space with us, we we told them about Smart Studio, they, and they made their first record, which sounded like shit, like our first record kind of did. Um, you know, and but. They made a record called what? 
the ten prolo- point buck or something. Oh yeah, the twelve point buck. Twelve point uh, buck. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And so the whole I think the whole idea for me watching that film is this trajectory where Smart accidentally becomes this hot studio for punk records because the Seattle people heard this record twelve point buck that had this killer drum sound and they loved all the tones on it. So uh, Mud Honey and all these other folks start coming to Smart, and then Butch meets the Nirvana people, and that combination gives you Nevermind, which knocks Michael Jackson's record off the number one position. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, it's, it's a great story. It's sort of like, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like, they weren't really chance happening. So it was a recording studio and there were musicians. No, the but, you know. There. But you never would have thought, like, yeah, in yeah. the beginning, that Killdozer would have led to Nevermind. You know? Right. And, and the changing of the entire music industry right. starting in the 90s. You know, yeah, that, yeah. So th- there was, like, a, like dominoes that fell to get there. And yeah. then the success leading to the demise, you know? So, the I mean, the film is... a. Uh, a really fun gateway into all these ways to, um, you know, understand a music scene over 28 years. Sure. You know, and understand and you know an ethos that was brought into that scene by Butch and Steve and and the Midwest. I mean, there's so many things that it touches on. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll do a screening out here in the uh, winter or something. That would be cool. You I'd know? Love to, yeah, I need to check it out. Yeah, for sure. yeah. I'll so send you a link. The inspir like. Once the studio was closing, is that where the idea and the inspiration came? Like, this needs to be documented? Like, we're losing this piece it of history? It wasn't really like, like, this needs to be documented as much as, uh, well, let me just talk to a few people. And I think you knew that you were witnessing a moment that people had a hard time uh, taking in, uh-huh. you know? And all of a sudden, the studio had an end. And it had been struggling for a number of years, but once it had an end, you sort of you saw it as this beginning and middle. And you know, you were able to step back. Well, I was, I guess, over time, able to just see the impact and the influence that the studio had, and what it meant, what that time period meant, and what the studio meant to people. And I think that Butch and Steve were really ready. They had moved away already. They were not at the studio the last few years. I think they were fine with it being the end of that era, but I think that there's you know folks that still want it to sort of reignite in mm. some way, or it no, should they be a museum. They, can, they can make records on their phones. Now. No, <laughs> the smart like wanting it back. I guess not being able to put the effort into making. I mean, it's just too much hassle to make a studio like Smart anymore. Um, but. Uh, I don't know. I think we're over it now. I mean, it's been 12 years. Wasn't the last board at Smart Studio purchased from David Cassidy? No, the um, the Trident, the A range, the last console. There were 13 of them made, and Smart had the 13th. I don't think it was purchased from him. Okay. There was the one. I mean, the Harrison board, which came out of the Osmonds family. That's what I'm thinking. Yes. So when the Harrison first came to the studio, and I think that um, Smashing Pumpkins Gish might have been done on that, one of the first records to be done on that Harrison board. That was from the Osmonds. Yeah, and then they eventually, Brian Anderson tracked down a second one 
and then they fused the two together to create like a custom 56 channel Harrison that they had upstairs. And that's what all the garbage records were missed on. And, all, and other things, Death Cab for Cutie, and you know, that upstairs became such a world-class mix suite. Um, and the Harrison was part of that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And lots of, lots of cash. I've never been there to Smart Studios. I, does it have a feel? Is that, I mean, it sounds like it's well, such a special I don't know what's place. In so there much now. has been. A woman bought the building and lives there. Okay. And has, through me, uh, obtained a lot of memorabilia. Not a lot. There wasn't a lot left. But she has the whole built. The whole interior is redone. It looks like a bed and breakfast, like a cool hip boutique bed and breakfast. Oh, okay. But she lives there. She's thinking of doing a bed and breakfast. And there's some elements um, of, or archives of Smart mm. that are there. But she doesn't have any real connection to the scene or the music, which is nice. So she brings this, you know, like showroom approach to how the place looks. Uh -huh. And uh, I think at one point somebody said she might do shows there, but I don't, oh. I don't know. I wouldn't say uh, that Smart Studios necessarily had like the mystique of Muscle Shoals or the, you know, the, the very, first very one did. House. I mean, the first, you know, before it was redesigned, that first studio that Billy Corgan was so sad, you know, went away. And a lot of people had a vibe that produced all that cool stuff that, well, we made, you know, uh, we made a lot of records there and made Death Trip and that's my favorite. And, uh, you know, Young Fresh Fellows and L7 and those records. You know, Gish is a great example. Nirvana is a great example. All the stuff that was done before the redesign had a real, had a sonic, um, I don't know, power that was also crafted with Butch's talent. I was watching the documentary when it was at the Barrymore with Dave Adler, who's mm -hmm. in this band called the Gomers, and they just like a sort of satire cover band and stuff. They're really a great institution in Madison but I was playing he was in my band at the time and so I get lots of speaking parts in this documentary and everything's going fine and then it's like the towards the end it becomes really sad and smart starts doing just like commercials and stuff like that and then it shows like Gomer's going in there yeah. <laughs> it's like and you know signaling like the end of like the the magical era of Smart okay. Studios and my buddy who's sitting next to me is like represents that because <laughs> uh, <laughs> he would go he would go in there and play jingles yeah and, and stuff you know that's that's yeah. he's a professional musician yeah right? so yeah. like he so uh, Dave I, Adler gave a great interview for the film and I just didn't use it didn't have a place uh, but it's really um, I think that I recorded him sitting at a piano giving me a um, like a rendition of making a record. You know, it was like from ringing the doorbell to entering and talking, paying the bill, playing, yeah. You mean I, playing music that represented a, all those situations? He sat at the piano and he did this like accompaniment as he told the story of making a record. I, I don't know, I'd have to go back and look at the footage, uh, but it just, you know, you only have 75 minutes and yeah. it just didn't make, they well, call let's that get like. Dave, let's get Dave on the podcast now, anyway. Yeah. A, 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 a <laughs> single human being institution. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In it's uh, actually true. Yeah. Matt, I mean, thank you for capturing that and doing the documentary. Oh, I, you're I mean, welcome. That needs to be yeah. preserved. I, I yeah. So you, yeah. But Wendy yeah. is also making a documentary on uh, 
girls who do motocross. Ra no, girls who race motorcycles. Motorcycles. Flat track mainly. At Athlon. Yes. Ah. Yeah, and she yeah. made one about uh, people who cut themselves. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. So I'm finishing my third documentary now. Oh, Thanks, Bucky. Yeah. <laughs> that you started uh, 10 years ago. How well, diverse, you know, you've got the Madison music scene, you've got yes. girls racing and girls then racing. cutting, like, it's, what's, um, uh, what ties that all together? Well, the... Endorphins? No, I think that I started uh, Angels of Dirt, which is the documentary film, the motorcycle film in 2006, and I shot for a few years just randomly interviewing girls that race out at Aztalan in Lake Mills. Mm -hmm. um, and mainly I was shooting this young girl, Charlotte, who was nine years old at the time. Um, but um, I took a break from the film and then Smart happened. And so that took up like six or seven years of my life. And I wasn't gonna get back into Angels of Dirt, but then Charlotte unfortunately died racing. Oh. So she was the main character that I had been spending a lot of time with. And now the film Smart came out in 2016, and Smart and Charlotte died just as the film came out. So I started working on Angels of Dirt from a different perspective uh -huh. now. And so it's been a real tough haul with COVID and finance, and being that I'm a person, you know, just one person. But it is, you know, there's a 75-minute cut of the film, and I'm scoring it, and you know, having to raise more money, I'm sure for it. But yeah, thanks, Bucky. That's. It's been a uh, labor of love, but I'm really ready to launch. I'm not ready because it's not done, but I'm ready huh. to just, you know, do my next project, I guess. Then you can start documenting what we're doing here in Evansville. And, uh, well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this you know, has got. I, I don't know. Where's wait. the tension? Is there yeah. any tension? I don't know. We Doesn't can create seem like that. Yeah, 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 I know. Hey, I need some roadblocks. <laughs> some roadblocks. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I scrolled through, you know, all, all the stuff on the website and all the. This is kind of funny. I was asked to do this in the spring, and you know, time went on, and it starts getting closer. And I got it in my head that it was actually in Evanston. Oh, yeah. Evanston, Chicago. In, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so I'm, call I'm as we're getting on closer to the this time. I'm calling my friends in Chicago and saying, like, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to be up there. You know, can you come by? And uh, one guy finally is like. You know, I'd love to, but that's a little bit long of a drive, you know. And I, I went, I, yeah. Anyway, that's just typical. Huh, right. That's just the type of thing I do, and gives fodder for you know all my friends to remark on that. Huh. But anyway, I thought like this. This doesn't look like anything near Chicago. Yeah. yeah. You know, this <laughs> yeah. is like little kids in bare feet running around, and yeah. um, you know. But I guess Parking. I, haven't, I haven't been to Evanston. Yeah. So, th yeah, this is great. And I've never been, I don't know if I've been through here, but I've never been into the neighborhoods and stuff. And I, I, I love this. Uh, this the old historic homes and stuff. It's, Evansville's got a real neat feel. And, and I feel like Evansville right now is on the um, the tidal wave that is Madison sprawl. You know what I yeah, mean? Like yeah. it's hit a bunch of, you know, it's kind of hitting Oregon now. We know it's coming. Yeah. And I feel like it's, we need an identity, and I feel like Evansville Underground Music is, is part of that identity yes. of Evansville right so now. So thank you. Yeah, right? I think it's going to be, I don't know. I have a vision of a, a, a real cool... Thank goodness. And well, look how it brings the people, yeah. you know? I mean, it's... Especially it's, since it's on, you know, you know, I know it probably hasn't always been or will be again in maybe 
other sushi. It's like on somebody's porch. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, because uh, I posted on Facebook, like, oh, I'm doing this set right there. It's, you know, and here's the address. Parentheses, Joe's porch. Joe's porch. Yeah, <laughs> Joe's porch is like a, it's like a thing now, right? It's like, uh, yeah. It's great. So, yeah, yeah, I think it probably like picked some people's interest. Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, like Joe's porch. Yeah. Okay, it sounds real down home. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yeah. yeah. In home. Down home, in home. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I so think there is a generator. Oh. Yeah. Well, oh. maybe there is now. That's uh, <laughs> that's our third show in a row that we've had. Well, one was kind of planned. We used the generator. And they screwed up letting us use their generator because the last two shows we've had emergency needs for generators and who do you think we called? So right. <laughs> borrowed it to us once and now it's our forever borrowed generator. Nice. So. Well, but, uh, 20 bucks a night. Uh-oh, oh. and it just ran out of gas. <laughs> I'm going to end the podcast here. Thank you so much for sure. um, coming down to Evansville. I can't wait to see you up there. Can we give you our websites? La- please plug website? whatever you can plug. Because um, everything on, on me is wendyschneider.com. wendyschneider.com. And then you'll get to Howler. You can get to Coney Island and the projects that I'm working on are coneyislandstudios.com. That's my uh, media company. But wendyschneider.com. wendyschneider.com. Yeah. Okay. Your Tar Babies? You... you, you you're gonna be, you know, listen to some tar Bay's music on YouTube. Negative example, which I'm very proud of, um, is on Bandcamp. Uh-huh. And um, so, yeah. Um, that's how you. That's how I got it. Negative example. Bandcamp search will get you to your Bandcamp page. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, <laughs> you have to. You know, I, I hope uh, all you people out in listening land. Uh, are compelled to listen to my music because that's why I, I I guess why I was a creator because I wanted people to pay attention to me uh-huh. or to music. So <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like a thing. Like right now, I'm not in a band and I'm not performing actively, and I like that too. Uh-huh. But it's like sort of the question, like does. You know, my girlfriend thinks that I'm sort of like pretentious for putting myself out there, but probably just because she wants to give me a hard time. Yeah. But every artist, every it's like people want a reaction. You know, they want to you, whether you're a painter or even a writer or something. You know, music is more out in, in a performance way, sort of way. But so anyway, please, like I, my ego needs <laughs> the gratification. Send me an email and tell me that you like me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I love you, brother. <laughs> Wendy, love you too. Thank you very yeah. much, Jeff. Thanks it was for really, coming it was on the nice show. to be here. We're looking forward to the show. Yeah.